I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome into this week's episode of the It's Two Tiles World podcast. I'm happy to see Steve Bartle with you guys as always. It's Tuesday. Uh, we told you last week we'd record early and, uh, well, it's a pretty um, meaningful Tuesday for, uh, for for one particular reason, which we will dive into. And that is, of course, Charlie Brewer departing the program. Before we get to that, you must check Steve out on Twitter at sbartle247. You can also go to uh, the website where his work is seen at www.utezone.com. I'm at Tom Can't Hack it on Twitter or KSLSports.com. This podcast is sponsored by Nate Wade Subaru, 1207 South Main Street, America's oldest Subaru retailer. Right, Steve, um, this conversation could go anywhere, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited about it, to be honest, because it's, um, it is a fascinating conversation to have. So for those that are unaware, that, that literally, quite literally, live under a rock, if you did not know, earlier this morning, Charlie Brewer departed the Utah football program. A depth chart was released. Cam Rising was listed as the starter. Jaquinton Jackson was listed as the backup. And no name of Charlie Brewer was seen on the depth chart. So multiple media outlets contacted the university to, uh, to, 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 to worry or, or to ask, I should say, about Charlie Brewer. And the reply was that he has left the program. So let's start there, Steve. When Charlie Brewer left the program this morning, your reaction was what? Not surprised. Interesting. Um, not not surprised. Um, just and not not to you know. Not to say anything about, you know, Charlie Brewer, the person or anything like that. Just, you know, the fact that he's he's an older guy um, that that came here to be the starting quarterback. He is he, you know, was was benched. And, you know, so just like obviously it, it like obviously it was a surprise, like it caught me off guard. But, you know, as I thought about it, really just and kind of let it sink in a little bit, um, really not not too surprised at the decision. Um, it just in general. What was your reaction, Tom? Well, similar, similar. I think I think it's very rare you hear of a starting quarterback that was most recently benched 72 hours later decide that he was going to depart the program entirely. You know, I think that's yeah. rare. That's something that just doesn't happen. Um, but then you start peeling back the layers and and you realize, okay, he was benched two and a half games into his into the season. He has a red shirt year available. He's trying to put up a case to potentially play in the National Football League. He's more than likely not going to put up a big enough case here at Utah, given how the op- opening two and a half games, three games have gone. He's 
like I said, eligible for a red shirt. So if I leave now, I can put my name in the transfer portal. If this is what he wants to do, and we haven't heard, you know, what exactly Charlie Brewer's next move is going to be. He may, he may entirely just give up the game of football and go work a nine to five, try get into coaching or, or whatever. But assuming that he wants to still play, Steve, he's eligible to put himself in the transfer portal again, to redshirt this season, to find a new home next year and see if he can put up a good enough season to uh, to make a case to be drafted or at least give him a chance as an undrafted free agent in the NFL. So, so yeah, no, it, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. Um, and for all the fans out there that are upset at Charlie Brewer, um, you know, I guess I would, I would ask you to kind of reconsider that and say, look, at the end of the day, football's a team game, sure. But, but the situation Charlie found himself in, I mean, he, he, he was making a personal decision. Um, he, he would he yeah. would be foolish to stay at Utah. When, when you think about it, he, it just doesn't make any sense for him. Now, if he didn't have a redshirt year available, then sure, he would stick around. But the fact that he has a chance to take this year off, get ready for next year, and potentially put up um, a good enough season at his new destination, it just look, it just makes sense. It yeah. puts Utah in a really, really weird position. Um, the quarterback depth now is a, is a concern. They they cannot run Cam Rising how they did against San Diego State. They can't do that. He cannot be taking as many hits as he has as he did. I should say they they have to be more conservative with his health because look, I'm under the opinion, Steve, uh, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this. But if if Cam Rising goes down and Jaquinton Jackson is is the starter. Uh, and I say this with all due respect. I, th- I think Utah's in some strife. I think they're in tr- some trouble. Uh, not that not that Jaquin Jackson isn't good enough necessarily. He's just not ready. He's not yeah. ready to take on that responsibility. It's unfair to him uh, to put himself to put to put himself in that position. And so and so it's going to be fascinating. Um, quarterbacks at Utah have historically gotten hurt. And so, so Cam Rising has to do everything he can in his power to stay to stay healthy over the, the remaining nine games and potentially more. Uh, and if he can do that, I'm a firm believer that Utah football could well make some noise in the Pac-12 South. Still, I, I do still think that. I mean, as yeah. traumatic as um, Saturday night against San Diego State may have been, I still believe that under under Cam Rising as QB one, I think they could be they could be pretty good. But um, what what a fascinating turn of events with the departure of of, of Charlie Brewer. Um, now now Gordon Monson, um, a veteran <laughs> journalist, Steve, to say the least, uh, put up a piece today that has ruffled some feathers, to say the least. It was titled uh, "Utah Football," where quarterbacks go to die. Um, <laughs> Which is a bit, which is a bit harsh, Steve. I think I, I think it's a bit harsh. Uh, I think it's clickbait. Uh, I think he's done his job incredibly well, but uh, but it's ruffled the feathers of the fan base, and it will inevitably ruffle the feathers, I should say, of the Utah football program and the entire athletic department. I I I do not think that's where we're at right now, but I do think questions need to be asked of Carl Whittingham as to how he manages 
his quarterbacks? And I think that is a valid question. I really do. I, I think Tyler Huntley was terrific at Utah. Sensational. I think Brian Johnson was amazing. I think Alex Smith was fantastic. I think there have been a handful of quarterbacks that have come through Utah. And I, I know Alex Smith, the Cardingham wasn't the head coach when Alex was around, but he was on the staff. Uh, Brian Johnson was, was, uh, Carl Woodingham was head coach when, when BJ was there. And of course he was there when, when Tyler. So I, so I do think Utah has had good quarterbacks in the past. And I don't think this is a destination where quarterbacks go to die, but I do have to start asking the question, why, why did Charlie Brewer depart in the manner that he did? Why did he not perform like we all expected him to do? And 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 I I think there's more to this story than simply saying that Charlie Brewer left because he need, he wanted to redshirt he wasn't going to be the starter and he needs another year I think there's more to it Steve I really do I don't have the answers but I do think questions are allowed and I think they're validated to ask what is it that Utah does to best prepare their quarterbacks? And I think, I think it's a valid question. I, I really do. But I don't, think it's a, I don't think it's a program where they come to die. I think that's a stretch. No, I, <laughs> I laugh because that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely not the case, right? Um, I feel bad like because the, the two quarterbacks that are, I'm sure, I haven't read the article, I probably won't read the article, but the headline, you know, like you said, Tom, it's, it's clickbait. It, it, it's, it's nothing more than to, to get you to click on the article. Um, based on that headline alone, I'm sure it is in reference to the last two quarterbacks that have come to Utah as graduate transfers uh, with Jake Bentley and, and now Charlie Brewer. And, you know, there's, there's a lot to unpack here. Um <laughs> The main point here is, you know, if, if Cameron Rising never injures his shoulder in game one uh, last season, um, we never see Jake Bentley take the field. And we also never see Charlie Brewer come to Utah. Um, you know, so that injury uh, is probably the best thing that has ever happened to Gordon Monson and his narratives. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I, I mean, it, it, like it's, uh, it's tough, but I, I in, in terms of what you, uh, what you're asking here, Tom, in terms of handling quarterbacks, yeah, it is a unique position. Uh, it is something where uh, you have to handle it a little bit different than, uh, you know, your traditional, you know, your, your defensive tackles and offensive linemen, right? Like it is a, a unique position, um, not that you have to to baby it or or cater to it, but you know you're building your offense around what your quarterback is capable of doing. Um, the thing here is, it, it's just you know Saturday night was such a wild ride because you get Charlie Brewer for two and a half quarters. There was some under center. There was some spread offense. There were there were you know there were plenty of of opportunities for him to make plays. And it just, it just never happened. It just never clicked. Um, you know, I was, I've been watching the game over a couple times now. Those first few possessions, Charlie Brewer missed on a on a handful of throws. I, in fact, I think he missed 
uh, just inaccurate throws on his first three attempts to Britton Covey. I think he missed uh, behind him, missed him high, and then, you know, just had another bad one to him. Um, and so it was, it was this thing where, you know, Charlie Brewer just didn't really execute when he had the opportunities. And, you know, he, so he's getting pressured, which makes it hard to execute. Uh, but when he had time in the pocket, he also wasn't executing. Um, and so it's just a bad combination. And when, you know, when Saturday night happened and Cameron Rising enters the game, it took him some time to get going. But, it, you know, it was uh, just, just as an example here, Tom, like I'll provide just kind of the stat. So pretty wild. Um, so Charlie Brewer was blitzed 19 times um, in the game on Saturday. He was six for 17 for 53 yards. Cameron Rising was blitzed 15 times, so not as many, uh, but still that's that's a pretty hefty number. Uh, he finished nine of 14 for 66 yards and two touchdowns. Um, and, you know, just, just based on that alone, Charlie Brewer was able to take advantage of opportunities, was able to execute. Like that was the thing. It was just, it was so apparent on Saturday night that one was executing and one wasn't like, I know we want to kind of talk about, um, you know, the deeper reasoning behind it, but really, man, it just, when you pop on the tape and it's easy to see like Charlie Brewer, just, it just wasn't executing really. And, and it's, it sucks that it's, you know, it's, it's taken three games to kind of figure that out. Um, he had a really good game one. Um, against Weber State, you know, we all left that game feeling pretty optimistic about the passing attack and the and the potential there. But you know, me, man, like there's there's not a whole lot to this other than the fact that you know Charlie Brewer was kind of a unique personality. Um, he wasn't the the raw raw energetic guy that Cameron Rising is, and that's fine. There are plenty of people like that that have success, but um, to to be that kind of personality in a team culture like Utah, uh, I think you have to have success. And Charlie Brewer just wasn't able to um, execute and, and find success here. And, and so, you know, he's Cameron Rising enters the picture, enters the game and, and kind of takes over and has success and gets that thing going. And, you know, it's it, it was a, a night and day difference between the two quarterbacks. There, there are a couple lessons, one in particular I want to harp on, um, and, and I hope Utah fans or college football fans in general pay attention to what's going on up there at Utah right now because I think it's I think valuable lessons uh, being learned not not just by the fan base but but by the coaching staff the players everybody involved I, I think the bottom line and I've talked about it a little bit but the transfer portal is such an interesting subject because there there is a lot of talent that enters the transfer portal yeah. But when you really break down reasons for players deciding to transfer, when I was a part of the team, the transfer portal wasn't around, so it was much harder to transfer. But since the portal has become available, I, I still believe this, 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 this rings true. There is always a reason, and it's never good, why a player decides to transfer. Just think about it. If yeah. everything's going well and you're playing well and you're getting along with your teammates 
and there's transparency between yourself and the pl- as the player and the coaching staff and and everything's clicking, you wouldn't transfer. There's right. no need to. Tra- I didn't think about transferring once. I didn't need to because I was playing well. I was respected. I got along with everybody. I felt like I could have transparent communication with the coaching stuff. I never even, it never even entered my mind, Steve. And so I think we have to realize as cool as the transfer portal is, as cool as it is, as it is and, 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 and with how much talent's coming, there's always a reason for deciding to transfer. And it's, sure. never, it's never good. It's never good because it doesn't make sense to transfer when it's going well. And so I, I'm not saying that players in the transfer portal, you know, are all bad people or whatever. But just right. Jake Bentley, Charlie Brewer, two great. You can even look at Chris Curry. You can look at TJ Pledger. I mean, those guys transferred from big time schools, LSU and Oklahoma, two of the more formidable programs in all of college football. And they're still not starting at Utah. They're not. Micah Bernard's the starting tailback. It's because they have flaws, whether it be in the ga- in their game or something off the field. Maybe it's mental. Maybe maybe it's a personality trait. Whatever. It, it doesn't matter what it is. But they transferred for a reason. And and then and I, I guess I'm I'm saying that they might not be as good as what most people think they are. And that's why the narrative this this past year and, the, and, and in 2020, where the fan base was going bananas because they had a, a transfer quarterback from an SEC school uh, or, or, or a transfer quarterback that's thrown for 10,000 yards in his career, just pump the brakes. If they were that good, they wouldn't transfer. And, and I think especially this narrative... Um, or oh, this idea really, really shines when we're talking about veteran guys. Because, because you look at like Joe Burrow, for example, he transferred when he was pretty young from Ohio State to LSU. He wasn't a seasoned vet. He hadn't gone through the ropes at Ohio State before transferring to LSU. He was just a young guy, felt like he wasn't going to get a legitimate chance at Ohio State. So he went to LSU and he found his own and, and, and the rest is history. You know, he wins the national championship and, and gets drafted as the number one. Well, you know, all that good stuff. Right. But he was a young guy. I think when you look at young guys in the portal, you go, okay, may, maybe there's more there. But when an older guy goes in there, there's got to be questions that are asked. They're like, well, why? Why is he entering the portal? He's had four pretty good years at Baylor. What's the, what's the deal? What's happening? And I think what we've learned is that you just have to be very careful when it comes to veteran players that enter their name into the into the transfer. Yeah. You just have to because yeah. Utah's gone through it now, back-to-back years at the quarterback position where it just hasn't worked out. Yeah. And so now no, you've I, got to be careful. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great point, Tom. They've, they've definitely lacked success with these one-year guys. Um, and I think it says something, you know, just, just had your point that, you know, experience at Utah – um, you know, compared to experience just in general, I think, you know, I think we've learned that just to, just to kind of add to your point, I think we've learned here that 
the experience at Utah is, is going to far outweigh just the experience in general, or at least it should from here on out. We now have, you know, two years of, of, uh, of, of situations, you know, two, two seasons worth of, of stuff to base this on where it, it's pretty clear that you want guys that have been in the program. Um, and you know, they understand how things are done here. Uh, I think they're always going to be the guys that you, that you want to want to target. And I think, you know, you want to target the, the young guys, the, the multi-year guys that have, you know, a couple years at least of eligibility left. Um, you know, when you start to look at guys in the transfer portal, because you are right. You know, I, I've, I, I had the opportunity to talk to, to one of the, the new basketball uh, assistants up at Utah. And he made that very point that, you know, he says, he said something to the same effect where, you know, there are guys in the portal and there's a reason that they're in the portal. And, you know, it's not always good. Like, so we have to do a lot of digging. We have to do a lot of research. Sometimes we're comfortable with that reason. Sometimes we're not. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's definitely something to consider, especially, you know, with these veteran guys. Um, So, you know, it's a learning experience. Um, They, they took two transfer quarterbacks last year. One of which is now the backup uh, to Cameron rising and Jaquinda Jackson. And like you mentioned earlier, Tom, I, I think, you know, that's exciting uh, because Jaquinda Jackson is a pretty unique talent, right? You've got a guy that's 6'3", 230 pounds, runs a 4'6". You know, he won at a high level um, in the state of Texas. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a legend there in terms of high school players, and they've had a lot of really good high school players in the state of Texas. Um, and so, you know, you've got a guy there that he came to Utah as a freshman, um, and because of the COVID year and all of that, he is still a freshman. So he's got four years of eligibility remaining. That's something that, you know, you can, you can, you know, like you said, he's going to need time. But that's something where he can buy in more and more. He can learn how Utah does things and it will be better for him. So I'm, I'm with you there, Tom. I think the transfer portal, I think we've learned a few key lessons here. Um, and I think it will, will benefit Utah and how they kind of operate. Um, they're always quick to learn, quick to study and quick to learn in these kind of things. Um, and so I, I think that this will benefit them down the road in terms of how they, you know, operate with, um, you know, the quarterback recruiting and all of that. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see the impact of, you know, this and, and what it means going forward. Uh, it's it's also like you know when the transfer portal became the transfer portal you know there was a conversation nationally kind of questioning you know is this is this where the future of college football is going uh, are the majority of rosters going to be built up of transfer portal kids kind of bouncing from school to school um and and I'll admit you know that that thought crossed my mind and I started to question maybe that maybe that be the case but I think I think we've learned that that isn't that isn't the case I think I think the value of a high school recruit is much higher than the value of a uh, of a transfer portal kid and and I say that knowing you know well that the high school recruit's going to take a, a year or two generally to find his feet become acclimatized grow put on weight um before he's ready to to actually contribute to 
the outcome of football games, but but that's okay. I mean, I think I think early on in 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 young players' careers, college careers, I think it's it's integral, it's paramount that they go through some adversity, that they that they that they have a difficult time, because that's when you really learn as a player what you're all about, who you are, how you thrive, you know, and and you use those lessons uh, to uh, throughout your entire career. It happened to me. It happened to just about every player I know. Um, when you first arrive on campus, it's not fun. It's not easy. It's hard. It's scary. But that's okay because that's life. Um, not trying to get too deep here, but it's like, you know, you enter it. You, if you're an out-of-state kid, you're leaving your family for likely the first time in your life. You come to a program. You don't quite know what to expect. Um, you know, the head coach may not know your name for a few weeks, even though we. He spoke to you a bunch over the phone. You know, you got to meet new friends, hang out with new people, forge relationships. I mean, there's just so much to unpack for new players coming in on a program. Um, And it's not easy. But you learn so much about who you are, not just as a player, but as a person and how how to process adversity, how to push through, how to figure out, you know, what, what to do, how to talk when things aren't going right. And if you can make it through that um, and get some playing time and play well, then my word is as your career unfolds, you'll only get better and better. Um, and so I value personally, I value the high school recruit uh, as a premium. Uh, and I think the transfer portal has a role to play, certainly. Um, but but I do think fans, not just at Utah, but fan bases across the country, just n- need to take what Utah has learned uh, and and process that and understand that the transfer portal's unique, but by no means because you're getting a kid from LSU or from Baylor that's had success in the past, by no means does that mean it's going to translate to success at whatever program you're a fan of, in this case, Utah, um, because there are too many variables. There are just they're too many differences. Yeah. And... Um, and so hopefully, hopefully, to kind of put a bow on, on this specific conversation, hopefully Utah fans in particular, next time this all this all happens when there's a quarterback battle and we're getting guys from the transfer, hopefully they can just say, okay, let's just relax. I mean, the media can't even go to see practice for crying out loud. We, we, yeah, we're like, we can't report on what's going on at practice. So you, we're taking everything from Carl Whittingham's mouth. And, and, you, and Carl Whittingham's obviously not going to bash on on his players you know he may be harsh every now and again but he's not going to go out and say uh charlie brewer is not the player we thought he was it does him no good saying that it doesn't make any sense so it's it's wild steve i um right i hope charlie brewer kind of finds his feet lands somewhere has success and uh and can move forward in life because um his stint at utah certainly didn't pan out the way he or uh, many of many of the fans envisioned it doing but Look, I, I, I think this is more, and I understand why the, the Charlie Brewer is going to dominate the headlines today, Steve. But I hope this, I hope this, this conversation swiftly transitions with with more focus on Cam Rising, because what yeah. he's been able to accomplish at Utah, despite not having many snaps under his belt, has been nothing short of very impressive. Um, he's obviously yeah. a talented footballer. But the way he handles himself in the media is is, is 
is quite remarkable. He is a leader. There's a reason there's a C on his jersey. There's a reason his peers value him highly, uh, not just on the field, but in the locker room as well. Um, Even when he was the backup this year, despite winning the job last year and then having that horrific shoulder injury that kind of sidelined him for nine months, even with all of that, when he spoke after the announcement was made that Charlie Brewer was the starting quarterback, he was professional. Uh, he understood. He didn't. He didn't. You know, uh, criticize the decision. He just handled his business, and he is yeah. deserving of being the starting quarterback at Utah. And so I hope this conversation swiftly goes in the direction talking more about Cam Rising, which I think it will, because now that is yeah. the focal point of this Utah football program, Steve. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you there, and and really, it's uh, it's uh, it it should be pretty exciting. You know, it, like obviously, it sucks to see somebody you know leave the program, uh, but still, like you've got a guy in in uh, in Charlie Brewer, or in, in in I apologize, <laughs> you've got a guy in Cameron Rising um, that uh, man, there's there's just a lot to like about what he brings to the table. I was there at the game on Saturday night, and uh, just you know, watching him in the two and a half quarters um, before he took the field, you know, like Britton Covey pointed this out, but, um, but I I was watching him and, and literally he was the guy that was, you know, he was clapping. He was, he was going up to to guys, putting his arm around their shoulders, talking to them, giving them uh, pep talks. You know, when he came out at halftime, he ran to the sideline. Um, he was 15, 20 yards ahead of anybody else. Um, so he ran to the sideline to get his headset on, to grab a ball, to start warming up, um, you know, and, and it's just little things like that, right? Like, yeah, does it mean much? No, it, it, it probably doesn't mean a whole lot. The fact that he ran out harder than others. You got me? I got you. Oh, geez. Sorry. No, you're good. Carry on. Um, you're talking about how he was out on the sideline, warm oh, up yeah. the little things. and Okay. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, so it, it was, it was encouraging to see those things. And then, you know, he, he, so like I said, he was on the sidelines, talking to guys, clapping them up, doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, never really translated onto the field, you know, what Charlie, what, while Charlie was, was out there. Um, but then, you know, he, he took over and you started to see it slowly, but surely that kind of that emotion, that confidence, you could see it start to build um, where, you know, they were playing with a little bit more energy, a little bit more pep in their step, um, you know, and, and it's, it's just a product of Cameron rising, his personality, his, his leadership. Uh, and so, you yeah, know, the, the, it is important to, keep the focus on Cameron rising. The story is not Charlie Brewer. The story is Cameron rising. Um, He is, you know, he's going to be, you know, as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be a good one. I think. I agree. Uh, I'm excited for the future. Um, So let's go here, Steve. Um, We don't need to, we don't need to dive into what all unfolded in, in Carson, California over the weekend when Utah lost to San Diego state in triple overtime. Um, the bottom line, the bottom line is that Utah's one and two. They lost back-to-back conference, non-conference games, I should say, for the first time in over a decade, nearly two decades, I think. I mean, it's, it's been that long. 
they 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 have a losing record going into Pac-12 play. They were pegged to finish second in the Pac-12 South behind USC. They were pegged to potentially forge a a campaign that ended in silverware. It seems somewhat unlikely that that is going to come to fruition. How good can Utah be the rest of the way now that we're at this point in the season with the one and two record, Cameron rising as QB1? Can they turn this thing around and go on a tear throughout their Pac-12 regular season, Steve? And I mean, that's that's going to be the, the big question, right? Like, and I think there have to be answers on Saturday. It starts Saturday, 1230 against Washington State. Like there have to be answers. And I think the most important thing that needs to be answered is the offensive identity. Like what is this offense going to be? Um, you know, the offense is really struggled and left the defense in some really tough spots. Um, I think if the offense can can get some things answered, get some things fixed, and it looks like they, they have some potential there with rising uh, in, in, in their leading the way. Um, it sounds like uh, there's there's a good possibility that this you know this Utah team, this Utah offense, can put together something. So. You know, again, it all comes back to the offensive struggles and finding that finding that identity. If they can do that, figure some things out up front with the offensive line. Um, you know, we've seen this Utah defense; they've performed well. Um, and so, you know, you think how much better they can perform with an offense that complements them well. You know, we'll see. So, um, it's crazy, right? Like it genuinely feels like um, like a, a fresh start for Utah football. You've got a new quarterback in there that's, you know, he's provided a spark. Um, and, you know, you're now zero and zero, you know, you're zero and zero in conference play. Uh, it literally feels like Utah has been able to kind of hit the restart button here and start fresh. So, um, yeah, there's there's definitely some things that have to be answered, some things that have to be figured out. But it's, it's a group that, you know, it's still got some potential um, and still has things to fight for, which is exciting. Uh, worth noting too, the Pac-12 South's wide open. I oh, mean, yeah. UCLA's good. Don't yeah. get me wrong, but they were beat by Fresno State, who's also good, by the way. Um, but they were beat by a Mountain West team, so UCLA may not be as formidable as what we thought uh, two weeks into the season after upsetting LSU at the Rose Bowl. USC, Keaton Slovis uh, injured himself against Washington State, and then our very own Jackson Dart from Corner Canyon came in and set a USC football uh, record for most yards thrown in a debut uh, but still he's a freshman like you know you, he could be really good but but he's still a freshman and so there's an unknown there um Arizona State got beat by BYU who I think at this point in the season and Utah fans aren't going to like this but I I, I think we can say BYU is a pretty damn good football team uh they, they they've got their ducks in a in order um and they're going about business pretty well. Three and zero to start the year are the Cougars with three three consecutive wins over Pac twelve teams. And so, yeah, Colorado's pretty good, uh, but they're not great. Arizona's not very good. Uh, and so, my point here is that the Pac twelve South's wide open. 
Yeah. Steve, I mean, we just like, who on earth knows what could happen in the Pac-12 South? Um, and so I still believe with, with what Utah's got on its roster and the sort of talent available, I, I, I think Utah's still a, a red-hot chance to take the South um, if, if, they can, if they can sort things out quickly. And it starts, obviously, with this upcoming week against Washington State. And I know I said this last week, um, but I'll say it again this week because I think given the, the change that's occurred up there at Utah with Charlie Brewer departing the program and now Cameron Rising as your starter um, and how that San Diego game ended in particular, uh, I think this is, this is the week where Utah fans will have a pretty definite answer as to what the immediate future will hold for their football program. Um, Washington State is not very good uh, under, under Nick Rolovich. They, 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 they're subpar at best. Uh, and if Utah can't beat them pretty easily, uh, then you have to assume this just isn't the football team we we, we all thought it was. Uh, and, and I'm sure Carl Whittingham would agree. Um, he was he had nothing but praise for this football team prior to the season. Things haven't gone right or very well to start the year. Uh, that's okay. It's just non-conference games. If they cannot beat Washington State by multiple, multiple scores, then I think Utah is not nearly the team everybody thought out at the start of the season. So we, we will see. I, I, I Look, I think there are certainly more questions at this point than answers, which is a shame because we're three games in. And you'd like to think that, you know, it's it's three games in right before you start conference play where the engines are starting to really churn and you're starting to get a really good idea as to what the identity of the football team is. But that just is not the case at Utah in 2021. Um, hey, something else I think worthy of a conversation, Steve, is Carl Whittingham and his emotion. Uh, it just feels it, it feels different, man. It just, and I'm not saying he's contemplating retirement. I'm not saying that because I know that narrative's been correct. But it just seems like, for example, when I was playing and things weren't going well, you would know because you would get a face full of spit through your face mask. From Carl Winningham, like he was really upset and emotional, and like you could just, and even when the cameras panned to him, it's like, okay, that's not a happy camper, dude. But against San Diego State and even BYU, Steve, I just felt like the emotion wasn't there. Am I crazy in saying that? And when you listen to him talk in press conferences, everything's really mellow and slow and methodical. And I'm like, gosh. I love Coach Witt. I really do. But it's just, it just seems like something's missing. I don't want to overreact or like create oh. a narrative that isn't there, but I, I, it's just something I've picked up on. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, you being a former player, you would have a pretty good idea of, of what Witt is like. And, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's something that you and others have, have maybe thought about, you know, wondered about is, you know, where is he at? you know, with, with everything. And, you know, the last two years have been really hard. And for him, I can only imagine how hard it it really has been to, you know, cause he's a father figure, you know, to, to these guys, to all of these players. And, you know, you, you have to worry about a hundred players um, during a pandemic. Like I can only imagine how stressful that was, right? Like, I'm, I was stressed out just based on how, how it affected me, 
you know, and he's got a hundred different players, coaches, all that, you know, weighing on him. And then obviously the Ty Jordan um, and, and, and that uh, and how, and how, how hard that must've been, you know, you can, you can, I, I would hope that we can, you know, realize that, yeah, it probably did, you know, take something out of it from him. Does that mean he's, you know, he's, he's lost the step? No, no, you know, we'll see. Like, obviously, you know, like, like we've got to allow this, this team and, and the season to play out before we can, you know, make, make assessments like that. But um, it's definitely been, it's definitely been a different feel. And, and I agree with you there, Tom, it's, it's definitely been a different feel. I made a note of it, um, you know, after the game that, you know, this is not a team that I recognize in the sense that, you know, under Kyle Whittingham, the coaching up and the little, the, just the little details that matter so much that we don't think about, right? Like rush lanes, um, special teams, maintaining, you, you know, your lanes on kickoff coverage, punt team, you know, the, the importance of blocking for a certain amount of seconds on the punt team, um, you know, understanding, you know, the special team units that you're on and not having to be yelled at to, to run out there, you know, on field goal team, um, you know, not taking false steps on, you know, as an offensive lineman and, you know, placing your hands properly as a defensive lineman and, and using, you know, your hand usage um, effectively, just little details like that just seem to, to kind of be, I don't want to say missing, like they're, they're there in moments, but it's just the attention to it. It, it just seems like for me, that was something that I picked up on, you know, on Saturday night was it just felt like the attention to the little things that has always been a hallmark of, of Whittingham coach teams. It just feels like it hasn't been there so far through three games. Yeah. While you talked about the special teams, I do want to quickly throw my two cents in. I, I have thought for some time now that the punt scheme has needed to be adapted. Um, I just think it's outdated. I think it worked when I was there because I was the first guy to, to kind of do it. And that was what I was strongest doing, you know, was they kind of made it. But, but since then, like Mitch Wisnowski, that wasn't his strength. He made it work because he's, he's an incredible punter. Benny Lennon, he, he's not the same punter as I, and that clearly didn't work out for either party. And I think with Cam Peasley right now, I think he's more like Mitch, uh, but he's obviously younger than Mitch was when he first arrived. And so, look, I, I do hope that they can they can adapt and change the punt unit and the scheme and the formation um, because I think that would best suit them. As it relates to kickoff, uh, you know, that all comes down to desire. Right. Um, it's not rocket science. Maintain leverage. Operate the space on the field you need to operate in, win your one-on-one battle, you know, and, and you'll be fine. Uh, and then Jaden Redding, look, I, I don't want to bash Jaden Redding uh, because he was a terrific kicker for Utah last year, but I've always said, uh, I think, I, I, I just don't know if he is as good as what a lot of people maybe first thought he might be. And I say that with all due respect because he's, he's a good man. He's a good dude. And I've got nothing against him. Um, but I think what we're seeing 
you know, now is, is kind of more like who I thought he was. He's a good kicker and he is a collegiate kicker, but I don't think he's first team all pack 12 good. Uh, I was around Andy and Matty Gay. I mean, those guys are elite. Uh, Matty Gay in particular, he's a, he was a monster. And James Good, uh, and he's serviceable, but he's he's not as he's not as good as what last year may have proved. So so we'll see what happens. Um, and I say that with all due respect, I'm not going out trying to attack anybody. Uh, I hope he can figure it out because kicking is that's a rough that's a rough place oh, to yeah. be. But yeah, going going back to to Carl Whittingham quickly, the reason I brought it up, Steve, was because I had a conversation with a media member who I will not name, but has been in this business and been doing this for longer than you and I combined. And, um, and he made a note of it. He made, he made a suggestion uh, or a statement, I should say, when I was speaking to him, you know, a week ago. And, um, and he said that, that shortly after the Ty Jordan passing, the tragic passing uh, on Christmas Day, he, he said that Carl Whittingham spoke to the media and it just, he just looked and sounded defeated um, with everything that's gone on in this world from the Black Lives Matter protests to, you know, societal indifferences uh, to COVID-19 and, you know, as the head coach of a college football team, everything that comes with that, the protocols, the testing, you know, just, just, just everything. I mean, it's so much work had to go in to make sure that that was all correct and, and operating as smoothly as possible. And then on top of that, your star running back, who undoubtedly had maybe the brightest future of anybody that's come through that program, passes away tragically on Christmas. I mean, it's all of it encompassing one. I, I just, I, I, I do start to think and wonder what sort of headspace is Carl Wingham in right now? Uh, I don't think he's defeated and I don't think he's retiring, but I do think the last 12 months has, has had a profound impact on him mentally. Um, and I think it's going to take time for him to get back to who he is. Um, and I hope that happens soon, but, but yeah, just watching him and listening to him, that isn't, that isn't the Carl Whittingham. I, I remember being around every day of my life and and I hope he's doing all right. Uh, I'm sure he'll he'll never admit that he's not, but but you have to wonder with, with everything that's that's occurred um, internally and externally and just the world we live in right now, yeah, I, I, I think it's having a profound effect, Steve. Um, and I hope he's okay. I, I, you know I hope mentally he's all right. Um, I think he is. But I also think it's going to take time for him to kind of get back to his good old self uh, and to his and to his way of coaching. You know, I, I, look, I think the Morgan Scully thing also had a had a had an impact on that too. Like Morgan Scully's his right hand man; he's his guy. That Morgan Scully is is being mentored to become a head coach, and hopefully for Carl Whittingham anyway, the head coach who replaces him at Utah. And that's just my opinion. And so when all of that unfolded last year. With the racism allegations that, that Morgan Scali was being faced, uh, look, I think that, and and when you think about when that occurred, and and, and where society was at here in America, uh, you know, like there was so much going on. Oh my gosh, there was a lot going on, Steve. So uh, I think all of it, 
has had an effect uh, on on Carl Woodingham. And uh, I hope he's okay. Uh, mentally, I hope he's stable. Um, and I'm sure he'll be he'll 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 find a way to push through and, and get over it. But yeah, when you listen to him, there's no doubt. I mean, I'm not gonna beat around the bush. There's no doubt that something's going on upstairs with him where he just he just isn't quite right. Um and I don't know, we'll see, we'll see how it all plays out. But um but he, he's had a lot to deal with without without question. I think he's had a lot to deal with. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely a lot to deal with. And you know, I I'm you you can you can talk on Kyle more than I can. I I don't know him all that well, and and so I I don't I don't know, you know what to what to make of where he's at. Um, you've had more interaction, way more interaction than I've I've ever had with him. Um, but yeah, like you said, hope he's hope he's there. Hope he's all uh, locked in and everything. And um, you know he's got a good football program, good football team, and um, they definitely need him to be. You know, as locked in as as he can be. All right, Steve, we're going to end on a positive note because it's been a rather sour podcast, and we apologize, um, but it's probably necessary. Uh, I, I'm going to go out, Steve. I'm going to go out on the record and say that uh, that Utah football is returning to its usual self. I think this Saturday up against Washington State, I think they are going to be fierce. I think they're going to play with aggression. I think they're going to let it all out uh, offensively. I think they're going to be aggressive, methodical. I think they're going to have well, I, mean, I think they're going to be well organized. I don't think we'll have any, any special teams mishaps. And I'm going to say that, that Utah comes back to life this week, Steve, against Washington State and handles it uh, with ease. I think Utah wins 35, 14. And I think life is going to be instilled into the Utah football program, back into the fan base. And I hope, because here's the deal. Here's the other part of this conversation we haven't even touched on. Utah, after Washington State's got a, got a back-to-back tester against Arizona State and USC, Steve. Uh-huh. And you and I, over the course of this offseason, have looked at those two games at home against ASU and then on the road against USC. And I can't, can't remember what order they're in. Do you? USC first. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, if, you, if Utah can't figure it out against Washington State this upcoming weekend, uh, I, I wouldn't be overly optimistic about their chances of going to the uh, Coliseum and, and knocking off USC. And I wouldn't even be all that optimistic about coming back to Utah and, and beating Arizona State. So, so this is it, man. I mean, yeah. here we are. What are we, three weeks in? Nearly, yeah, it'll be a month into the season by the time these two teams meet this upcoming Saturday. And, and we're already talking about must-win games. I mean, this is... It's wild. It's wild. It's wild. It's, it, it sucks. But at the same time, it, it's kind of fun. You know, it's like right into it. Here we go. All right. We're yeah. not as good as we thought, but we have a new quarterback. I mean, do you feel the same way? Do you, do you, how optimistic are you, Steve, that Utah is going to play well this Saturday? I mean, I'm optimistic. Um, I'm excited for, for Cameron rising. I saw, you know, a big difference, you know, with him in there still, man, there's, there's some, uh, there's some issues, some, some issues elsewhere. Offensive line, obviously, you know, what is that unit going to going to look like um you know special teams until you know there's 
there's more there. Like it's, it's, uh, it's an issue. And so there's definitely some, some concern, you know, the secondary, they didn't get tested a whole lot against, uh, you know, the Sandy against San Diego state uh, because San Diego state simply did not throw it a whole lot. Um, didn't have a quarterback that threw it a whole lot, but you know, they, uh, a couple defensive pass interferences and, and that. And so, you know, it, I'm, I'm optimistic that Cameron rising is going to make a big difference. Um, but man, there's still some, some other things that have to kind of be ironed out for this team. Um, I still think that they win. I still think they beat Washington state. Uh, but you know, Washington state is just, they're just a mess. Like I would hope that they beat Washington state pretty handily. Um, but again, this is about, this is more about USC and ASU. Those are the teams that you're supposed to be competing with. And, you know, ASU, they lost to, to BYU and, and USC looked like a mess a little bit early on against Washington State uh, until they made a comeback. But still, those are those are the two most important games on the schedule, you know. And, and so, you, you, I, I think that Utah wins um, Saturday night. I, I don't think, I, I firmly believe that Utah wins. I, I think that this week uh, will, will prove to be a good week for Utah. I think they win comfortably, um, but again, it's not. This is not so much about Washington State. This is about getting something, building something, you know, for the future. So, you know, I hope that uh, we not only see the Utah win, but I hope that we see a very, very good effort um, Saturday night or Saturday afternoon um, that they can build upon. Because, you know, like like we talked about, like this is. This is a, a team that still has plenty to fight for, but they have to to make a lot of progress in a short amount of time in order to uh, to achieve those goals. So, uh, you know, it'll be uh, should be a fun Saturday. Like, I hope it's a fun Saturday. I hope that you know, this offense comes out and just lights the world on fire. That would be uh, just awesome to see uh, see the team kind of rally around Cameron Rising as the leader, as the guy now. Uh, and so, but there are just, there's other things that have to be fixed as well. It's not just Cameron rising doesn't solve them all. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of the thing here. Yeah. I the first things first energy, energy yeah. needs to come oh, into yeah. play. You look at the sideline against San Diego state against BYU. Uh, and it was down. Yeah. There wasn't much life out there. So that needs to change. Um, and there needs to be a mentality shift that, Whatever adversity comes their way, they can overcome it. Yeah. With, with energy, that's possible. With life, that's possible. Uh, but, but with how they've kind of conducted themselves over the last two weeks, that, that is a, a concern for, uh, for me and I assume other Utah football fans. It's a 12.30 kickoff. It can be seen on Pac-12 networks. I think the 12.30 kickoff helps and aids Utah. I think it's a get-up-and-go mentality. There's no sitting around a hotel room you know, twiddling your thumbs, watching college game day. It, it is get up, eat breakfast, and be ready to play football, which I think is everything this team needs right now. Let's go. Yeah. Just let's get out there and ball. Uh, and so I think that'll help. Um, it'll hopefully be in a, in a, in a big environment, packed house, the South Stands. Hopefully there's no storm that interrupts this one. It's a Pac-12 opponent. I mean, there are, there are, there's a ton of excitement for Utah fans out there. And I'm excited to see how they respond because this is this is what it's all about. At the end of the day, when you cheer for football teams, you cheer for a team in general in any sport. This is what it's all about. When your team's, you know, when your team's down and out, it's not looking promising. 
how do they respond? Is this what you need? You know, is, what's this team all about? Who are they? Uh, who are the leaders? Who Who's going to pave the way? And so we'll find out and we'll find out soon because they're one and two, which is something that I can't quite believe I'm saying, but it's the, uh, it's the bottom line. Um, check Steve out on Twitter, would you? Uh, at sbartle247. Check out his website, utone.com. They offer a seven-day free trial for all the ins and outs of everything going on up there on the hill. Utone.com is the number one place to go for that. You can also check out kslsports.com, uh, which, which provides updates on, on the Utah sports scene in general, not just Utah football, but BYU, Utah State, Weber, Dixie, Southern Utah, the gymnastics, everything. I mean, it, literally everything. So kslsports.com. Is where you also need to head to. I'm on uh, Twitter at Tom Can't Tack It. Nate Wade Subaru is the sponsor of this podcast. It's uh, 1207 South Main Street, the address. NateWade.com is their website. And um, the, the, the used car market quickly is really hot right now. And so there are, there, there are customers of Nate Wade Subaru that have been driving older models that have got themselves into a newer model uh, or a 2021 model, the newest model. And they're paying less on their payment than, than what they were. Uh, on an older model they've also got the uh, the new solterra which is the first subaru electric car that's debuting in 2022 so there's a lot going on in the subaru world uh, and i would highly recommend going to check out america's oldest subaru retailer in nate wade subaru steve until next week my man yo fingers crossed yep. next week's a more positive episode but we yep. appreciate uh, you every week uh sorry this went a little long but there was a lot to get to uh, and hopefully Utah can provide us with some highlights to talk about as we enter Pac-12 play. Steve, be well. We'll speak next week, man. Stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.